I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today, joining me today is Michael Taylor. He's an author and life coach, and his new book is Shattering Black Male Stereotypes, Eradicating the Ten Most Destructive Media Generation Illusions About Black Men. The gruesome killing of, of um, George Floyd could cause many black men to shrink back and feel hopeless. But now, more than ever, there is a call for them to remain optimistic as the current momentum created by the recent uprising can create lasting changes for not just them, but the entire black community. Michael Taylor is riding this momentum and wants to empower black men during this critical time in black history. He offers an insightful look into the 10 most destructive illusions about black men and delivers proven solutions and techniques they can use to overcome the stereotype, mindset, and and live above the generic negative illusions about the black race. He's president and CEO of Creation Publishing Group and has been featured on ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Michael. Catherine, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show, and I want to first acknowledge your guests for engaging in this conversation because I think it's a conversation that, as a country, we need to have and hopefully create a positive dialogue so that we can start healing racial tension in the country. Absolutely, and I think one of the, I guess my first question is, uh, you yourself have have had to overcome this diversity uh, what we're talking about, black uh, shattering black male stereotypes from a personal point of view. So maybe we should start for your own personal story. Yeah, well, I was born in the inner city project of Corpus Christi, Texas, to a single mom with six kids, and we were basically the poster children for poverty back in the 60s. And when I was in high school, I decided to drop out of high school in the 11th grade because I convinced myself that I could get rich selling vacuum cleaners. Unfortunately, that was a pretty poor choice, but fortunately, I landed a job at a building supply center, worked extremely hard, and actually became the youngest manager in the history of this particular company at the age of 22. And so at the age of 23, I was living the American dream. I had the house, the wife, the 2.5 kids and all of that, and by society standards, I had made it. And then within about a six-year time frame, that American dream turned into the American nightmare as I went through a divorce a bankruptcy, a foreclosure, a deep, deep state of depression. I was actually homeless for two years living out of my car. And so fortunately, I was able to rebuild my life, and I decided to share the information that I learned, the lessons that I learned during that process with others, and that's when I began writing back in 1995. So 1995, and you began to write. Did you just all of a sudden begin write? Did you go back to school? Did you have anybody who helped you, or was anybody there who was supporting you? Uh, I, I imagine you didn't just sit down at your desk and start to write. Well, actually, I did, but this is how it started. Okay. I was in a restaurant, and I happened to overhear a conversation between these two young, apparently well-educated, well-spoken young black men, and they were having a conversation about the eradication of black men from society. And so I walked over to their table and I asked the guy if he really believed what he just said. And the guy looks at me and he says, absolutely. He says, don't you watch the news? He said, I honestly believe in 20 years, all black men are either going to be dead or in jail. And I knew there was nothing I could have said that would have changed his mind. So I simply put my hand on his shoulder 
and I said, don't believe the hype. And I just walked away. But as I walked away, there was a part of me that said, Michael, you have got to do something. You've got to do something to change the mindset of black men. And I had no idea what I was going to do. But as a result of my own personal journey, I said, you know, why not write a book targeted specifically to black men to support them in dealing with the multiplicity of challenges we deal with every day? So in 1995, I wrote a book called Brothers Are You Listening? A Success Guide for the 90s. And I had no experience in writing books, but I've always been passionate about books. So I actually wrote the book. I sent it to about, as a matter of fact, exactly 60 different publishers. I was rejected by all 60, and I decided, well, I'm going to learn how to self-publish. So I got a part-time job at a bookstore. I learned about the public publishing industry, and I launched my, I launched my own publishing company. That's a very exciting start. <laughs> um all right, let's 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 go from there. You talked about the multiplicity of challenges. This was in the 90s. Do those cha- same challenges exist, exist today? Well, well, they're just magnified, I think. We live in a society that loves sensationalism, violence, negativity. And so with the current event uh, with George Floyd and uh, the other Armand Arbery and all those guys that, you know, unfortunately have been killed by police, it appears that those, that relate race relations are getting worse. I don't believe they're getting worse. I believe they're getting recorded. And because of technology, we're now able to see the challenges that we still face in this country. And so back in 1995, when I wrote that first book, again, it was a, a result of the brothers in the restaurant, because back then there was a guy that got killed by police in New York. And so that's when that whole conversation in my mind started about what can I do to support and empower black men? And so writing is just a gift that I have, writing and communication. And so I take those gifts and try to support others in transforming their lives for the better. So, Michael, what you're saying is uh, the challenges are still there, um, and maybe they're not even exacerbated, but they're revealed. We ha- Now we have the tools to reveal what those challenges are. And so now we're see- our eyes are open or half open or whatever, but we're beginning to see it and to understand it maybe, hopefully. Um, so let's, uh, let's just talk about what specifically those stereotypes are and the impact that it has on black males in our society and young men. Well, the very first stereotype that I talk about in the book, which is probably the most devastating for black men, is the illusion, I call them illusions, but it's a stereotype, but the illusion is that black men are an endangered species. And we've had comics and people talking about and making jokes about black men being an endangered species for a long time. And when you look at these situations like George Floyd and and all the other police brutality, then it's easy from a black male perspective to conclude that that's true. Unfortunately, if you have that mindset, it's difficult, if not impossible, for you as a black man to succeed. So one of the things that I do is coach men on changing their mindsets and attitudes about what it means to be a black male. Once again, our current society focuses 
on are primarily focused on negativity, sensationalism, and pessimism. And so by changing our mindsets, especially as black men, what we can do is break away from that negative mindset, those negative ideas about who we are as black men, and become more empowered and to take full responsibility for our lives turning out the way we want them to. Because despite all the negativity, it is my belief that every black man is capable of creating an extraordinary life, but he must be willing to invest in his own potential. And so what I do with my books and my seminars is I give men some tools that invest in their potential to support them in creating extraordinary lives. So that's the very first illusion. Give us a couple of examples of what would those tools be? A couple of those tools that you give to them. The, when, very, in, first, in your, yeah. the very first tool is the tool of self-awareness. And so self-awareness is the process of understanding who you are as a human being. Now, science is showing us now how our thoughts actually contribute to creating our reality. So what we think about, we bring about. And so if I'm training or coaching someone to think more positively, I believe he has more positive experiences in his life. If he hangs on to the negative belief that black men are endangered species, guess guess what's going to show up in his life? Something negative. So the first tool is the tool of awareness in which you have to challenge your deeply held thoughts, beliefs, and feelings about the world around you. That can be very difficult to do, right? I mean, that can be very scary stuff um, and, and I think takes a long time to be, awareness, obviously, um, is critical. Um, and then so then once you're able to do that, then what becomes the next step? Then what do you do? Or do you do it simultaneous, simultaneously? Well, we must understand that this is a process and we live in a society and a culture that has promoted this uh, instant gratification, quick fix mentality. But I don't believe that's how life works. Life is a process. And so the goal is to engage in the process of life, engage in the process of awakening, engage in the process of transforming ourselves from the inside out. And so, yes, it is challenging. It is difficult. But yet there are an unlimited amount of stories of people who have overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles, myself included. And so that should give us some key that, number one, life is filled with adversity, but if we gain the self-awareness, we can overcome any adversity. So, again, it's about gaining the self-awareness, engaging in the process, and, con- and committing to constant and never-ending improvement in all areas of our lives. Well, how about our President, Obama? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> um, I, well, I mean, he was the yeah. perfect example uh, for, shall I say, the role model, if you will, to, for black men to aspire to. But there was a negative side to that. A lot of black men felt inadequate because they said, well, we can't be president. We, you know, we can't live up to those expectations. But if we look at it from the standpoint of role models, I don't think we could have asked for a better role model than Barack Obama for so many reasons. Number one, his intelligence. Number two, his commitment to his wife and his family. And just being an all-around nice guy. 
I mean, he was he was the epitome of what we as black men should aspire to be. So he's also a genius. Black- so there is that part of it. He is a genius. He is a real orator and all of those kinds of things. I have to just I always put a little uh, personal story in, but my four-year-old grandson, I was talking about Barack Obama and how great he was, and we had this long conversation. And he said to me, then he looked at me and I said, and he was president for two terms. And he goes, well, then why did he get fired? <laughs> and that brought in a, <laughs> I said, well, he didn't get fired. And that was a whole new um, lesson for him to learn. But anyway, go on. But, but here, is, here is an unpopular opinion. And this is just Michael Taylor's opinion. It is my belief, despite the fact that I completely disagree with the overwhelming majority of things that the current president does, I believe it was important for us as a country to have someone in that position so that we could shine the light on the dark spots that's still in our society. For example, unfortunately, a lot of people thought because we chose a black president that racism, racism kind of just disappeared and it didn't exist anymore. And yet, as black people, we've recognized and still recognize that, yes, there are some systemic issues that still need to be addressed. Well, as a result of this current president, I believe for the first time collectively, this country is going, oh, yeah, maybe we need to rethink this whole thing. And so now, if you'll notice, there's a completely different conversation amongst white people about taking responsibility and not feeling guilty or shameful about being white, but recognizing that, yes, there are still systemic racist policies that are still in place, and there's obviously still a lot of racist people in this country, but I believe the overwhelming majority of people, regardless of color, are not racist, but our society will always showcase and focus on the negative. So with this current president, it's been an opportunity for us to see that we still have a ways to go in terms of race relations. In other words, there's work to be done that wasn't really obvious before, and now it is. And now you talk about systemic racism. I agree. So what about, okay, shattering the, let's talk about, you're talking about uh, shattering the uh, stereotypes. What are some of the other stereotypes that? Well, another stereotype that we see a lot in the media is this whole idea that black, black men are deadbeat dads. And so this has been perpetuated for a very long time. When you see a conversation about uh, fatherlessness, you'll generally see a black father showcased. Well, there's no scientific evidence that supports that idea that we in any way are less than uh, good fathers in any other race. But there's a guy down in Australia who came up with an amazing scientific theory because he's an expert on fatherhood. And he came up with this theory, which he calls the 30... 30, 30, 10 rule. And what he says is, if you put 100 men in a room, regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of social economic status, if you put 100 men in a room, he said 30 of them, 30% of the men would have absolutely no relationship with their father. Either their father passed away or they're just estranged, they have no contact with the father, but 30% of those men would fall in that category. He then said 30 men, or 30, another 30% would have what he called an estranged relationship with their father, meaning they know who their father is, they may be in communication with them, but there's really no intimate connection with the father. And then he said another 30% would have what he called 
a holiday relationship with their father, meaning the father is in their lives and they may have, a, you know, an okay relationship, but the father really only shows affection during holidays. And he said that's the majority of men uh, currently because of the changing roles of masculinity. And then he says of those hundred men, only 10%, 10 men in that room would have what he calls a healthy, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually connection with their father. And so the real issue isn't about race. The real issue is about masculinity. And how can we encourage and teach men to move past the current paradigm of masculinity in which we were taught that our only responsibilities are to provide and protect, and we then teach men how to connect? Because what we as men long for is connection. And yet, a lot of us don't have the tools of connection because we were conditioned to believe that feelings are for women. Therefore, men don't know how to appropriately express how they feel. So this whole idea that black men are deadbeat dads is an illusion. It's a stereotype. As a matter of fact, the CDC did a study that actually showed that black men were actually more involved in their children's lives than men of other races. But you'll never see that in mainstream media. So, again, that's just an illusion that we need to blow up and recognize that being a great father has nothing to do with race. It has everything to do with making a commitment to being the best man and the best father we can possibly be. I think there was some research there. This was men and women, uh, not black or white, but that women actually do have a part of their brain that is larger than men that has to do with communication and connection. Uh, actual a physical part of their brain that helps them to connect with with other men and other women and with children. Um, I think that study came out a couple of years ago, which kind of is interesting given what you're talking about that whole connection thing. Um, all right, next, what are let's go on to the next stereotype. Another stereotype is that black men are not patriotic, and obviously with the Colin Kaepernick stance or kneeling during the the national anthem, there was this stereotype that black men don't love our country and we're disrespecting the flag in the military by his stance. When in reality, we love this country just as much as any other group. We've died for this country in wars. We are being killed unnecessarily, but yet we still work towards creating this great nation that we live in. But when your president start saying things like, you know, you should fire him or, you know, all the comments that he made, then it gives the impression that black men don't love our country. But the truth is, we protest because we love this country. That's the whole point of the protest. Because to me, a patriot is someone who loves and defends his country. And so the protest that Collins started was an attempt to stop the unnecessary killing of American citizens. So how could that be viewed as unpatriotic? I say that that's the highest form of patriotism because he was bringing awareness to something that needed to be addressed. And now, if you look at how this whole uh, George Floyd situation has shifted the conversation, and even the president or the, the head of the NFL came out and said, look, we were wrong in how we approached the situation. And we now see, and we should have seen earlier, exactly what Colin was trying to say. 
And this George Floyd incident really sh- shines light on what the whole conversation was and why he began kneeling in the first place. Yeah, it's, it's because he does care, not because he doesn't care. It's because he does care. What Now, we don't have that much time left, so I want to connect this to what you are currently doing. You're having a, a summit um, Stereotypes Empowerment Summit. Talk to us about that. When, where is it, and what's it all about? Yeah, it's an online summit, and it's actually part of a series. I've done a series of summits based on the book, Shattering Black Male Stereotypes. And the intention of the summits are to bring in experts and role models, if you will, to show what sometimes the media doesn't show. For example, in this particular summit, I've got a group of six men. And we're talking about different topics. Uh, one of the men that's on the summit is uh, Beyonce Knowles' dad, uh, Matthew Knowles. And he's having a con- we're having a conversation about the DNA of achievement and how to empower black men to live extraordinary lives. I've got a gentleman by the name of Dr. Steve Perry, who is one of the most recognized educators in the country who started several charter schools specifically for young black males. And they have a 99% graduation rate and a 99% rate for the kids going from high school to college, and you very seldom see that in mainstream media. I've got uh, Dr. Jerome T. Luck Singh, who is the founder of International Men's Day, which is celebrated every November 19th uh, in more than 80 countries around the globe, and he talks about the importance of developing a new paradigm of masculinity for men, and a host of other uh, amazing personal development uh, experts to engage men in conversation about what's possible. And so, again, it's an online summit. There's absolutely no cost to the summit. Uh, it's, again, it's seven sessions, and it's designed to inspire, to educate, to motivate, and to share information to support black men in living extraordinary lives. So when, it, when, when can we... Uh when does this come about? Is It's not, do we have a date the, for it? The summit is, is now available. Again, there's no, there's no charge. If no you go charge. to, yeah, no charge. If you go to shattering black male stereotypes.com, you can gain instant access to the summit and you'll have access to the seven sessions that we talk about and give you an opportunity to learn from some amazing guys. Yeah, who are obviously very highly well-educated, and I think maybe we can sort of end the interview with that because, like, education, isn't that key? Education, education, education for all of us and for, um, well, shattering the black male stereotypes. Well, education in the form of self-education is the key in my experience. So self-education is the process of waking up and discovering who we really are as human beings. It means recognizing our unique gifts and talents and how we can use those gifts and talents to make the world a better place. So when we self-educate and discover who we are, we can then apply those gifts to make the world better. And that's my whole intention is to make the world a little bit better. Well, I think you, obviously you are doing that by all the, what we've discussed on the show and also a lot more things that you're doing, but self-education, self-awareness, as you said, really key taking responsibility for ourselves. Isn't that, the key in terms of being able to, yeah. Sure. In, in, in all of my teachings, the very first thing I teach 
is you must take 100% responsibility for your life turning out the way you want it to. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame your race. You can't blame your country. You can't blame your age. You can't blame your educational level. You have to say right now in this very moment, I choose to take 100% responsibility for my life turning out the way that I want it to. And as soon as you do that, you gain power to change your life. Well, Mike, thanks, Michael, thanks so much for being on the show today. Great book. Uh, also, The Summit, as, he, as you said, is available uh, online. And the uh, we've been talking to Coach Michael Taylor, also author, and uh, talking about his book, Shattering Black Male Stereotypes, Eradicating the Ten Most Destructive Media-Generated Illusions About Black Men. Um, great having you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. I really appreciate it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 